morning on this first Sunday of Advent. Let us listen carefully, for this is God's word. Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Through him we have also obtained access by faith into this grace in which we stand and we rejoice in hope of the glory of God. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings, knowing that suffering produces endurance and endurance produces character and character produces hope. And the hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured out into our hearts through the Holy Spirit who has been given to us. And I forgot this is the kids, so kids, if you haven't went yet, please go. Let's pray as we begin. So, Heavenly Father, as we begin Advent, allow us to feast on your word this morning. For your word confirms that you are faithful. Lord God, we need to grip onto something real and true and solid, not only during this season that's before us, but through really every season of life. So allow us to grip on this morning harder to the fact that you're faithful. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. So today's the first day of Advent, that season that leads up to Christmas, Christmas Day, that season of growing expectations towards the coming of the Christ child, whose birth we mark and celebrate on Christmas Day. Now, when you consider the fact that we have a season that, such as Advent and such a day as Christmas, it allows us to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God is faithful. He's indeed faithful. Faithful not just because his word declares it, it's the back projector not working, but also faithful since he keeps his promises. And that every last one of them down to the littlest one to the largest one. Consider this as we begin Advent this morning. In the Old Testament, there are over 350 prophecies concerning the Christ child, Jesus coming, that are being fulfilled, have been fulfilled, when we celebrate, why we celebrate Christmas, that God did come as incarnate. 350 alone in Christ. This doesn't mention any of the New Testament ones for us specifically as believers for eternity and for today. The first, perhaps, was given that day of terrible judgment that God handed out in the Garden of Eden, and that would be the first of many that this Jesus Christ would come. All these point towards the fact, proves the fact that God is not only truthful to his word, that God keeps his promises, it yells out how truthful that God is to us and to this world. And these promises, mind you, are not just in the abstract, not just in the kind of electrical part of our brains. But he's faithful when it comes down to the nitty-gritty of our lives, the reality of what our lives look like living each and every day. Because it's one thing to have a great concept of something, it's another thing to experience it, isn't it? How many of you have ever been to Niagara Falls? How many of you have seen pictures of Niagara Falls? You can't experience Niagara Falls or the Grand Canyon or 
Vatican until you've been there. Until you experience it. It's great to talk about God's faithfulness and not really have it penetrate your heart, isn't it? It's great to talk about God's faithfulness but never lean into it and believe it as you live life. But God is faithful. It's what Paul points out, really. One of the things Paul points out here in these first five verses of Romans chapter 5. Now he turns to the very aspect of everyday life as he's expounding his letter to the church in Rome. By making a presentation now as he opens chapter 5 of the experiential results of what it means for a believer to be justified. Now, justification is a theological term. It's not dusty. It's not outdated. It's just a legal aspect that God God does based on us being righteous because of Christ, saying that we have now been justified. We are in good standing with him because of what Christ done on the cross. Again, the only reason that we can be justified, the only reason that we can be declared righteous in his sight is because of Christ. It's not anything on our own doing. Even our faith is really not of our own doing. That was given to us by God. Given to us so we can believe. Remember the man who said to Jesus, Lord, help my unbelief. He understood that in order to believe, you needed God to give you faith. Because if we had faith, we would all believe. But God gives faith not because of anything we've done. He does so because he is faithful. Romans chapter 12, verse 3, Paul would go on to say, For by the grace given to me, I say to everyone, among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think. In other words, don't think that you're so good that God gave you salvation. Don't think you're so good because you have this faith. But Paul goes on, But to think with a sober judgment each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. That's why we don't boast in ourselves, because God assigned it. Because he is faithful. We enjoy so much, not just in justification, because he is faithful, but we enjoy things in our everyday life because of his faithfulness as well. Things that Paul lists in these first five verses... We have peace with God. We have access to him. We have hope, not just for today, daily confidence, but we have hope for tomorrow and eternity. And finally, Paul talks about we're deeply loved by God. I'm going to go through these very briefly this morning with the idea, with the hope that we wouldn't be encouraged. Because any of us that live life for any period of time know that Usually around December of the year is when we feel like our feet are kind of sticking to the mud that we have to walk through this last year. Or we might have to walk through or continue to walk through into 2020. I want us to be encouraged that we don't walk alone. That because God is faithful, we can walk stronger as a result, no matter what we're walking in or walking towards or walking away from. So the first thing is that we have peace. Paul declares in verse 1, Therefore, since we have been been justified by faith, he's been talking about justification by faith in chapter 
the three part of chapter three, and now up to all of chapter four. Now in chapter five, he says, therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. What does that mean? Well, it means among many things that we never have to worry about thoughts like this. Do you ever worry that is God for you? Even as a child of God, do you worry that God is for you? Don't. We have peace with him. Of course he's for us. Do we worry about if God cares, despite of our circumstances? Well, God must not care. Look what's happening. No, we have peace with him. He cares. Finally, do you ever wonder if God has your back? Why is this happening to me? Well, true, you might be getting disciplined because you're being a wayward child. But never have to doubt God's not doing it for our own good. He has our back because we have peace with him. Why do we know this? Well, we know that because Jesus died. When Jesus died, what happened? The temple curtain was torn in two. There was no separation between God and the believer because of what Jesus Christ has done. That's because this peace of God is not a subjective. It's not a feeling. It's not based on emotion. Ours or God's. It's objective. It's a fact. It's a fact. Just like gravity is, I don't know what the, how you measure gravity. Gravity is a fact. It's a fact that, you know what, every year we grow one year older. It's a fact that sun rises and sun sets. God's peace with us and our peace with him is a fact. It's not an emotion. It's not based on anything except what Jesus Christ has done. This child that we celebrate, this Lamb of God who would one day die and body be broken, his blood be poured out, we're going to celebrate communion That's what that represents. God is faithful. We have peace with him. Any doubt of that, when you get home today, look at Ephesians chapter 2. Because once we were not at peace with God as unbelievers, we were his enemies, we were declared to be children of wrath and deserve all the wrath that God had towards people who do not believe because of their sin. But verse 4 begins, but God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love in which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ, by grace you have been saved. And he goes on. We have peace with God. Never doubt that God's not for you. Never doubt that God does not care. Never doubt that he doesn't have your back. That's just one of the blessings. Because he is faithful, we can be assured of. Paul moves on, and obviously it's linked to the first one. Because we have peace with God, it makes sense then. We have access to him. Access to the living God who created heavens and earth by a mere speaking. We have access. No, not just on Sunday morning when we come to church. Not just when... The pastor comes over, you come see the pastor. 
Not just one over when you're really feeling spiritual. Again, because the curtain was torn, we have access to the living God seven days a week, 24 hours a day, 365 days a year until we go see him face to face. First part of verse 2. Through him we also obtain access by faith into this grace in which we stand. Ponder the significance of that great truth. You have direct access to all the power, all the might, all the ability of the entire, that created the entire universe. All because of grace, we received that. All because of God's faithfulness. Again, because he's faithful, we know that he's faithful because we celebrate Jesus Christ. Doubt me. Go to Hebrews chapter 10 if you have your Bibles. Verse 19. Lord willing, sometime in 2020, I'm going to start a series on Hebrews. This is a sneak peek. By the way, never get your Bible wet when it's in your bag. It makes the pages very hard to turn when they dry. But it looks like I read my Bible laws. Chapter 10, verse 19. Therefore, brothers, since we have confidence to enter the holy places by the blood of Jesus, by the new and living way that he opened for us through the curtain that is through his flesh, and since we have a great priest over the house of God, let us draw near with a true heart and full assurance of faith, with our hearts sprinkled clean from any evil conscience and our bodies washed with pure water. Let us hold fast to the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. Again, when Jesus said it was finished, the curtain was torn. There's no separation between man and God. So it doesn't mean your prayers don't mean anything. Your prayers have the same effect that Pastor Dave's prayers has, or even so-and-so-and-so-and-so. If you're in Jesus. Because he's bought the way. And let us. Goes on in Hebrews. Let us consider how to stir up one another. To love and good works. Not neglecting to meet together. As the habit of some. But encourage one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. We come to church. Not because this is a special place. And somehow this church is directed. Closer access to God. We come to church to help us each other remember how faithful God is. To encourage one another along the way. So in three in the morning when you're having a migraine or the baby's not sleeping or the pain is so bad you can cry out to God in Jesus and you have direct access to him. And since we have direct access, Paul goes on, we can stand no matter what. Stand compared to before we were saved to now that we are saved. Because before we were saved, we were standing as Adam stood. How did Adam stand? 
Not very well. Through him and through his choices that sin entered this world and we are eternally condemned. But now in Christ, who again is the second Adam, we have perfect standing before God. That perfect standing again allows us to enter in to his presence anytime, any place, anywhere. And since we have received and experienced this grace means then we have hope. Hope not just for today, we'll talk about that in a minute. Hope not just in things of the immediate, because often we make choices based on the immediate. But because we have access to God, and any time we need him, we can go to him, we have hope for eternity. Do we not? Through him we have also obtained access by faith into the grace in which we stand and we rejoice in the hope of God, the glory of God. I would think, I would hope that this is something we can rejoice in. Some translations change that word rejoice, it's correct translations, they say boast. Boast in what Jesus Christ has done. Brag about what Jesus Christ has done. Not in ourselves, not in our own abilities, but in what God has done in Jesus Christ. We once could not boast, even though we did. As sinners, we used to boast quite a bit, right? Look what I can do. Look what I can achieve. Look what, how good I am. God's going to let me into heaven. Yet, that boasting would have got us nowhere and gets us really nowhere. Look at what Paul says in Romans chapter 3, verse 27. Then what becomes of our boasting? I'm so good. I'm white. I'm Caucasian. I'm English speaking. I am so good. It's a law, really. It is excluded. But what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. The only way we can boast is boast in Jesus Christ through our faith. Because he's the only one worth boasting about. Because before we couldn't boast and we shouldn't have boasted because we all fell far short of the glory of God. Now because of Christ and because of God's faithfulness, we can boast because of his righteousness. Since one of the many results is that we have an eternal future. For the wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. Paul then moves in verses 3 and 4, moving from the future hope now to the ever-presence of every day. To the here and now of life and the suffering that usually is part of life. Have you noticed that as we get older, the suffering usually becomes part of life? Some of you who are young, that's good. But unfortunately, I'm going to have to break the news to you. Living life includes suffering. Suffering from the mind things of who's like me who needs more light to read now? Who's becoming like me who takes you about an hour to get going in the mornings or more? I'd love to be young again. Well, I wouldn't be. But I remember just popping up, just ready to go. My hair's a mess. But who cared? Didn't have to shave. Didn't have to smell nice. <laughs> yeah, they, we hit that age. Mid 
early teenage years, do shower. Verses 3 and 4. Not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Huh? How many of you are as old as me or perhaps older who complain of your sufferings like me? Paul says we should rejoice in our sufferings. My wife and I, and she's incredibly younger than me, but have been talking lately, you know what? Yeah, we don't want to leave, but we're ready to leave. I mean, life, not church. (laughs) Like, it'd be okay to go see Jesus. Because you know what? We remember still what it's like not to suffer. How it's like to bounce up. How it's like to actually see. This was years ago. I remember reaching underneath the dash to read a fuse thing on my vehicle. I couldn't even read the small print. And I couldn't get a magnifying glass in there to see it. I had to pull the fuse out and give the one of the kids to read for me. <laughs> but not only that, but we rejoice in our sufferings. Why? Knowing that suffering produces endurance, endurance produces character, and character produces hope. Hope in what? That things are going to get better? No, because after the eyes go, the ear starts to go, right? Huh? (laughs) Paul's saying that people of God should... Rejoice, actually, boast, that word boast again. Should boast, not just in future glory, but we boast in our present trials and suffering. Not because they're pleasant, not because they're fun, not because the suffering is good, per se, but it produces step-by-step transformation that make us more Christ-like and actually points people towards Christ. And away from ourselves. And drives us to Jesus Christ. Because suffering plus Christ equals endurance. Endurance plus Christ produces character. Character plus Christ equals hope. Hope just not for eternity, but hope to get me through the night maybe. Or hope to get me through that ridiculous time where I can't read something. I have to humble myself and say, could you read this for me? Or hope to get me on my knees because I'm not self-sufficient anymore and I need the help of God. It produces hope because, again, God is faithful. Because through Christ we have access to God. We have peace with God. We have hope for the future. We have hope for today. And finally, Paul moves into verse 5. Perhaps it was the greatest thing for each and every day that we need to remember is that we are loved. Loved by the God of the universe. This love is not like our world love. It's not this the surface shadowy sort of thing. But this is a deep and rich love. And hope does not put us to shame because God's love has been poured into our hearts through the Holy Spirit has been given to us. Because... Why do we know we love? Because the Spirit's within us. It's not a flaky, emotionally driven sort of love that Paul's talking about here. It comes from within. It's not based on our circumstances. 
God doesn't love us when he's blessing us or we think he's blessing us with tons of good. God is in love with us because he's put his spirit in us. Therefore, his love never leaves us. We know this. We know the verse, John 3, 16, for God so loved the world. That's one proof. But Romans chapter 5, verse 8. We were loved by God when we were unlovable. We're loved by God when we're without strength, when we're the ungodly, when we're sinners, when we're his enemies, when we were children of wrath. But God showed his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. You are loved as a believer of Jesus Christ. Not based on emotion, not based on anything. Circumstances is a fact. Why? Because Christ came. Christ died. So if he loved us then when we were like that, how much more do you think he loves us today that we're part of his family? That we're at peace with him? That we come to him? That we put our hope in him? Quite frankly, we probably cannot understand the description of how much God loves us because we can't understand it with our finite brains and our finite emotions. How infinite his love is. All given because God is faithful. He is faithful, therefore we are loved by him. He is faithful, we can have daily confidence in him. He is faithful, we can obviously have confidence in him for eternity He is faithful. We have access to him daily, hourly, secondly. And finally, we are at peace with him. We never have to walk around looking over our shoulder. So as we move into this Advent season and quickly anticipate Christmas Day in a few weeks, remember that he is faithful. Let's remember that as we prepare for this table this morning as well. Let us pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your faithfulness. It's the rock in which we can cling in this faithless world that has and will and does let us down in so many ways and so many things. Maybe as we move into this Advent season, remember, Lord God, that you're faithful. We know this because Jesus came as promised. We pray in his name. Amen. Invite the word.